Okay, so today in part 10, I want to talk to you about this. Having a heart of worship. Having a heart of worship. Coming into this place so thankful for what God's done for you. So grateful that He's blessed you, He's saved you, He died for you. That you come in here so excited to lift your hands and surrender to Him. So excited to clap to the music. And if you're white, you can't clap on beat, but that's okay. We love it anyway. And sing to Jesus. It means so much to Him. But you know what? A lot of children in this church think this. Worship, that's for women. That's not something men do because they don't see their fathers doing this. They don't see the men of the church surrendering. And men, we sometimes we think this for our wife. She knows everything about me, the good, bad, and the ugly. And so she's going to think I'm a hypocrite. If I look, listen, it's not about what she thinks. It's not about what the people around you think. It's about God. And you think this, you know, I've committed a lot of sins. I looked at pornography on Thursday. I cussed somebody out on Friday. I almost ran a West Virginia tag person off the road on the other day. I shouldn't be clapping and singing. It's not about you either. It's not about your sin. It's about the one that took away your sin. So why don't we come to church like this? Um, there's a lot of different reasons, but before I get into my three points, I want to show you some scriptures that tie in your heart to your mouth, okay? Uh, your heart to your mouth. Matthew 12, 34 says this, your mouth speaks showing what's inside of your heart, what it's full of. If you want to get to know somebody's heart, and we can deceive each other, we like to put on masks even when we're at church, but if you really want to know somebody, go to lunch with them and just listen to what they say. Listen to what they talk about. When you're at lunch today, the people around you, listen to how much they talk about themselves versus how much they talk about you. How are you doing? You're great. Oh, God was good. I learned something good in church today. How much do they express gratitude for other things? Praise God. And how much they talk about me, my problems, my fears, my worries, my concerns, what I want. Look at me. Notice me. What comes out of their mouth? Uh, Proverbs 16, 21. Wise, mature is known for their words. You see the correlation. By having a heart of God, a mature heart. James 3, 2, if you control your mouth, you're mature. You can control your whole body because your life follows your mouth. Now, I'm going to teach you something. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart. Yes or no? Okay. If that's true and that's a spiritual thing, then the first thing that should change when you get saved is your mouth. That's the first thing God begins to work on. When you finally notice that your child gave their life to Jesus, you'll hear something different start to come out of us. When we get saved, we gossip less and less and less and less. We complain less and less and less and less. We stop talking about ourselves less and less and less and less. The first outward sign of salvation on the inside is your mouth. You start cussing less. And, that's right, Northerners. You stop cussing less and less and less and less. What did that flipping pastor just say to me? That's right, I'm telling you. <laughs> Acts 4.13, when they heard how Peter and John spoke, knowing they graduated from Socrates, I'm just kidding, knowing they were illiterate and common men, they marveled, they realized, these guys have been with Jesus. We, we, we can tell that they spent time all week with Jesus because when they showed up, something was different about their mouth. Something was different about the way that they spoke. Do you see the correlation between heart and mouth? I want you to see that. I want you to see that everything starts in the heart and it begins out of the mouth physically. So if we could just learn how to praise and worship God with our mouth and not stand here and listen to other people do it during praise and worship. But if we could start doing it, just imagine what would happen to our hearts. Imagine how we'd fall in love with Jesus all over again to a whole new level. There's two words I want you to remember for the rest of the sermon, and that is this. Sin equals selfishness, and worship is love expressed. 
for your notes. Sin, another great definition would be disobedience, but I think it's the best definition. Sin is selfishness. Sin is all about me. And worship is about expressing your love for that person. And you might not realize this. All of you in here worship something. You do. You worship your money. You worship your looks. You worship um, being liked in the public eye. You you worship whatever. You worship worship whatever you worship. Because when you love someone or something, it comes out. It is actually expressed. So don't tell me you love God, but you don't express it. Don't tell me you have a heart full of Jesus, but it doesn't come out of your body language. It doesn't come out of your body language or your mouth. So it's very important for the next 28 and a half minutes, you remember, sin is selfishness, worship is love expressed. We got it? Say, oh yeah. Okay, point number one, and these are weird points, and man, I could have gone in a hundred different directions, and I've been wanting to preach this for two years, but I was scared if I did, y'all wouldn't apply it, and I'd feel like a failure, and all these horrible thoughts that did not come from God were in my head. So I'm going to preach this in one of the weirdest ways possible, but I think you'll get something from it, okay? So point number one is this, what is in Satan's heart? I think if we can learn what's actually in Satan's heart, it'll cause us to not be like Satan or notice when we are like Satan. So what was in Satan's heart before the fall of man, before man was created? Let's see what he said inside of his heart. Isaiah 14, 11 13. These are five I want or I desire, five statements. And watch how it puts it. You used to give honor with your harps and viols, your strings, but now you're in hell because you said in your heart. Your mouth, your heart. You said it in your heart. Watch what he said. And notice the wordings that came from his heart. I will or I want or I desire to ascend that goes up to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the other angels or above the stars. I want everybody to notice me. I will sit enthroned that the mount is the top of the mountain. If you ever hear mount something, it means the top of the mountain. I will sit enthroned on the top of the mountain of the whole congregation. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make, now this is so scary, out of all the words you can use for God. My provider, healer, protector, all the, all the El Shaddai, uh, all the different words. There's hundreds of them. Look at the words Satan chose to use. I will make myself like the most high. I want everybody to like my picture on Facebook. I want people to lust after my body, so I'm going to dress in a provocative way. I want people to notice how much money I have. I want them to see my gifts and talents. I want to sit in a place where the whole world worships me. That's what he wanted. Now, biblically, theologically speaking, this is called the Adamic nature. A-D-A-M-I-C, if you want to write it down somewhere. It it means that we have the nature of Adam. It's the fallen sin nature. Notice me, fallen sin, pride, selfishness, Adamic nature. Now, that's the correct, that's how theologians talk about it. But remember, Adam was not the original sinner. You know who was? Satan. So in all honesty, you and I aren't born with an Adamic nature. We're born with a satanic nature you are born with a satanic nature now you're born again focused on jesus but we're born in this world with satanic nature let me show you what god said to him in verse 15 you shall be brought watch this down to hell to the lowest depths of the pit you want to go up you want everybody to notice you worship you you want them to to talk about you 
to see how smart, pretty, all these things you are. No, no. He says, I'm going to make you go low, 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 all the way down to the pit. Before salvation, the most important person in our life is me. Before you got saved, the most important person. Listen, when you see a group picture that you're in, who's the first person you look at in that group picture? And if you don't look good, you better not post this. There can be 30 people looking great in that picture, but if you blink, no, we're not posting that. No, 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 that's not a good picture. That's a horrible picture. Horrible picture. I can't let anybody see me in a bad light. <laughs> After salvation, the most important person in our life is Jesus. This is one way you know if you're saved or not. Who's the most important person? You know, anytime they bragged on Jesus, he always pointed to the Father or to the Holy Spirit. He said, I don't say anything unless I hear my father say it. I don't do anything unless I see my father do it. Then they started talking about, no, no, the Holy Spirit's going to come, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. The Bible says God lifts up the Son. If you could see the three of them in a conversation, it would look like this. You're amazing. No, you're amazing. No, you're amazing. You're wonderful. No, you're wonderful. No, you're wonderful. You're all powerful. No, you're all powerful. No, you're all powerful. They always point the light elsewhere. Satanic nature always points the light to me. At lunch today, let's talk about me. Let me tell you what I'm going through. Let me tell you what I want. Let me tell you what I've accomplished. Me, me, me. So that's what Satan wanted before the fall of man. Let's see what he wanted after mankind. Remember when he tempted Jesus in Matthew 4, 8? The devil took Jesus. Where did he take him? To the mountaintop. To the top of the mountain. Here's what he said. If you will bow down. This is the saddest phrase in the Bible. Watch this. And worship me. Here's what he said. I want you to express it with your body. I want your body. I don't want you, Jesus. This is Lucifer. I don't want you to just worship me. I want to see it. I want you to express it to me with your body language. Show me that you worship me. How sad is that? So that's what, so before the fall of man, Satan wanted worship. After the fall, Satan wanted worship. Now let's look at this. What did Satan want in the end times? What does he want, whether it's 100 years from now, 10 years, whenever the end time comes, Revelation 13, 4, bowing down. They worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast singing. They didn't just show it with their body, they showed it with their words. This is what he wanted. He wants your body. He, listen, Satan wants you to worship anything but God, anything the world has. He wants you to worship the gifts rather than the gift giver. He wants you to worship the creation rather than the creator. They sing to Satan, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now, if you know your Bible, that song should stick out to you. Because that song was sung when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. And Moses' sister Miriam led them on a worship song. Two million people, God brought them through the, 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 the wilderness. He brought them through the Red Sea. He destroyed their enemies. And Miriam starts to sing about the horse and rider thrown into the sea. And she says, who is like our God and who is able to make war with him? And in the end times, people sing that song to the devil. The same song to the devil. They're so deceived because they've been worshiping everything but God all through their Myrtle Beach life. They get so deceived to the point they start singing that song to say, I can picture, I can picture it when it happens. I can picture it. It's the end times. And, 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 and they tell, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And, and, and Jesus is on his throne and Jesus says, what did they just say? Did they just sing my song to Satan? And Gabriel's, you know, standing next to him. And Gabriel says, that, that's right, Lord. I heard him do it. I heard him. They said, who's like the beast? Who's like the more of them? I heard him. I heard him. Because Gabriel's been waiting a million years for this day. Ever since Lucifer was thrown out of heaven, Gabriel's been waiting on this day. And Jesus looks at Gabriel and he says, Gabe, he calls him that because they're close. 
He says, Gabe, get my sword. And John describes it in Revelation 19. He says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he would strike the nations. He himself will rule with a rod of iron and he has on his robe and on his thigh. Thank King of kings and Lord of lords. You know what Lucifer wants? He wants you to worship anything but the King of kings and Lord of lords. He doesn't mind you coming to church and spectating. He wants you to stand here and watch everybody else lift their hands. He wants you to stand here and watch everybody else clap and listen to everybody else sing. And then he wants you to leave this place and worship all the things God's given you rather than the one that gave it to you. That's what he wants. So point number two, what's in my heart? What's in your heart? What's in my heart? In order to figure that out, let me teach you a little bit more. It says in um, Ezekiel 28, 12 through 16, this is God speaking to Lucifer himself um, through, I think, the king of Babylon. But he says, this is God. He says, you were a seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. We're going to come back to that. The ruby, topaz, beryl, diamond, onyx, jasper, turquoise, emerald, and gold. The workmanship of thy tambourines and windpipes. We're going to come back to that. Was prepared in thee the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until sin was found in you by the abundance of your commerce. And one translation says merchandising. So let me teach you that Hebrew word for abundance of your commerce or merchandise. Here's what that Hebrew word means. If I, owned, if I was working at a shirt store that somebody else owned, and someone came in to buy a shirt, an orange shirt, let's just say, and, um, and the shirt's $50, and I tell them it's $100, and they give me $100, and I put $50 in the register, and then I put $50 in my pocket. The money was supposed to pass through my hands to the rightful owner, but I got a little bit of it and I thought, you know what? I think I want some of this for myself. That's what that phrase means. Now it says he was adorned in every jewel, covered in precious stones. You know what precious stones do? They reflect light. There's no sun in heaven. God is the light. Lucifer's responsibility was for the light of God to shine unto him. And he was supposed to reflect it to all of heaven. And all of the angels would sing and worship God and praise. And as they praised, as the worship leader, he would take that worship and reflect it back unto God. And one day, one day as the light's passing through him, as the worship's coming through him, one day he has this thought, you know what? I think... I want a little bit of this from me. And God said, you're out of here like lightning. Not because God is insecure, not because God is selfish, but because he's the only being worthy of worship and praise. That's why he kicks Satan out like lightning, like lightning. Now, let me teach you something. In the Bible, there are three archangels, okay? Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. These are angels in charge of certain things. They each have responsibilities. Let me ask you some Bible questions, okay? Which angel 
was responsible for bringing the word of God to Mary and said, God said to tell you that you're going to have a son. His name is going to be, he's going to be the Messiah, Savior of the world. Which angel did that? Gabriel. Gabriel. Which angel went to Zechariah and Elizabeth and said, you're going to have a son named John. This is what God said to tell you. Gabriel. Stay with me. He brought the word. Everybody say the word. word. Michael. I'll just ask you. In, in Daniel prayed and fasted for 21 days. And he prayed and prayed. And then there was an angel that brought the answer to the prayer. Which angel was that? Michael. Michael all through the Bible, he's, he's bringing prayer. Answer to prayer. Miracle from prayer. We pray and he comes. And Lucifer used, used to, past tense, his responsibility was to worship. Oh, oh what are we going to do? What are we, we going to do? We still have the word. You know, in every church service, there are three components. Every church service. There's the word. There's prayer, talking to God, believing for a miracle. And then there's worship. Uh-oh, we're missing something. We still got the word on our side. We still got prayer on our side. Who's going to worship God? Lucifer's been kicked out. Who's going to do it? Now, 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 we, we went through some scriptures earlier. I'm going to reread them to you. Okay, watch this. Isaiah 14, 11, You used to give honor with your harps and vials, like violins and violas. Your strings, one translation says. In other words, it was built inside of him. Strings were inside of his being. Ezekiel 20, 13. The workmanship of thy tambourines. This is a tambourine. You don't know. It's a percussion instrument. It's a percussion. It keeps deep. It's a percussion instrument. The work of thy tambourines and windpipes. One generation says pipe organs, the kind that air used to go through. Windpipes was prepared inside of your body, in your angelic being. This was put inside of you from the day you were created. Lucifer, the worship leader, was created with three instruments on the inside of him. He was created with strings, with wind, and with percussion. Have you ever seen a picture of your vocal cords? You know what your vocal cords are? They're strings. Do you know what happens to your lungs whenever you sing? Wind goes through them. And just for fun, can everybody just pull out your hands real quick and give me just one clap? Do you know that when God created you, he gave you strings, wind, and a percussion instrument in your being? You know what I picture? I picture 6,000 years ago, the, the earth has been void. It's been dark for who knows how many ages. Who knows, who knows how many millions of years. And, 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 and God shows up and begins to bring things back into order. From the chaos and from the strife. He starts to plan things and put things together. And on day six of creation, Lucifer walks into the garden. And I picture Lucifer doing this. Oh God, it's been a long time, hasn't it? I haven't seen you and I don't know how long. You're here because you miss me, don't you? You're here because you need me, don't you? You don't have anybody to worship you. I was the one in charge and you kicked me out because I wanted some for myself. You're here to ask me to come back to heaven. You, who is going to be your worship leader without me, God? And God picks up some dust from the ground and he goes and he breathes his spirit into it. And God says, that's my new worship leader right there. And that dust is going to step on your heel and break your neck. 
Here's the problem with that dust. It has a free will. And it can choose to come to this place and just stand there and watch everybody else use what God gave them to praise and worship His name. So what's in your heart? I don't know. Only you know that. Point number three is this. What's in God's heart? What's in God's heart? I'm going to go ahead and tell you what's in God's heart. And then I'll explain it to you. God's heart is this. To bless you in such a way. To show you His favor in such a way. To save your soul in such a way. That when you come to this place. You cannot wait to lift your hands. To clap and to sing to Him. That's what's in God's heart. Psalms 100 verse 4 says. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and think so. Is that what it says? Be thankful unto Him and just meditate on it. Is that what it says? It says be thankful unto Him and do what? Say it. Affectionately. Well, it's just not my personality. Affectionately praise His name. I have five reasons for why I think some of you do not come to this place and give God your body and your words during praise and worship. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know which one it is for you. You tell me. I don't know. It could be because of one of these reasons. Number one is this. Maybe you just don't love God. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe, maybe you just like you come here and it's a religious thing and you just really don't love it. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe you love other things a lot more. Number two, maybe you think it's not my personality. I had a friend just like that. He got saved. And we, we taught him about praise and worship. And he said, well, John Paul, that's, I'm a quiet kind of guy. I'm very reserved. I'm very, you know, that's just not me. And then he invited me over to his house on a Sunday afternoon to watch a football game. A miracle occurred! God healed his personality, changed it and everything, just like that. He lifted his hands, he clapped, he yelled, he screamed. I said, like, praise the Lord, brother. Everything's changing your life. You're a new man. He said, what do you mean? I said, I thought you said it wasn't in your personality. God's my witness. The next Sunday, he never went a Sunday without praise and worship for God. Today, he's an um, assistant pastor at one of the largest churches in Myrtle Beach. Great guy. Number three is this. You're worried about what people think. You know, that's just pride, right? That's why Satan got kicked out of heaven was pride. It was all about him. You're focused on your sins. Once again, all about you. Not about Jesus. Why don't you focus on the one that took your sins away? That'll cause you to clap and sing. Or number five is this. You love God, but you've never been taught how to express it. I hope that's the reason. I hope that's the reason. Um, growing up, I have two sets of grandparents. Nana, Papa, Grandma, Granddad. Grandma and Granddad on my dad's side of the family. They're in heaven now, but they were millionaires. Millionaires. And so for Christmas, you know, we'd go over to their house and open presents and meet all the grandkids. And on Christmas Day, um, they would always get us the same thing every single Christmas. Underwear, pajamas toothbrush, toothpaste, and chocolate-covered cherries. My mom's here. She can tell you the truth. We stopped opening the presents because we knew what was there. We don't, listen, no grandchild wants underwear from their millionaire grandparents on Christmas Day. I still got the ones from last year and the year before, and they're still in good condition. I don't know what you think's going on, but I don't need any more underwear. So we would only open up the chocolate-covered cherries every Christmas. Thanks, Grandma. Here's the problem. She had a million dollars in the bank. She had the ability to give me what I wanted to feel loved, but she didn't do it. She did what she wanted, not what would really make. Give me a G.I. Joe or a Ninja Turtle or a Batmobile or something. I mean, for, you know, toothpaste and toothbrush. Come on, Grandma. 
So maybe you just don't know how to express your love. So I'm going to teach you. All through the Bible, there's Hebrew words, of course. The Old Testament is Hebrew. All the most Hebrew words on how to express love to God. And here's some of them. Uh, the first one is yada. It means this. To worship with extended arms to heaven. Like it's a sign of I surrender. I surrender. Right? I'm giving it all to you. Shabbat. To worship with a loud tone or shout like hallelujah. Which that word means the highest form of praise. So if you don't know any words on the screen, just sing hallelujah. Zamar, to worship with a musical instrument or clap. Tehillah, to worship with a song and sing of thanksgiving. Not to be confused with tequila, which can also make you sing. But if that's what it takes for you to sing, we will give you some tequila. Whatever it takes. But tequila is the word. Okay. So, 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 are we not, is it that we're not grateful? What is the reason? Especially us men. You know what it's like for your child to see mommy worshiping and daddy just standing there? The greatest gift you can give to your children is for them to see that you're a man who surrenders your body and your mouth to God. That's a big thing, a big thing, very big thing. So let me tell you a story, then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. Luke 17, 11. I want us to really examine this. It says, Jesus was met by 10 lepers. How many lepers? Ten. Now, it implies they were all men. I just want to keep that in mind, okay? They raised their voices saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. Now listen, they, they raised their voices. They could shout when they wanted something. Jesus, we need you. When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. As they went, they were miraculously healed. Now, I just want you to see, the miracle wasn't in hearing the word. The miracle was in hearing and obeying. They were healed as they went. It wasn't, when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, nobody was healed. Not one healing. When they heard the word and they obeyed, they were healed. Okay? Then it says, as they went, the message in verse 15, when one man saw, how many men? One. Saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself down at the feet of Jesus and said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I got my life back. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, I want to do some math in here, okay? We're going to do percentages. The first service did not get this right at all, okay? So dear God, give us some help in here today, okay? What percentage of these men heard the word and obeyed? 100%. If you said 10, just leave now. 100%, okay? If you said 10, don't answer anything else the rest of the service, okay? 100%, okay? What percentage of these men were miraculously healed? 100%. Okay, this is a different answer, so I'm just warning you. What percentage of these men expressed their love and gratitude to God? Okay, now I want to do another mathematical thing with all of us. Let's just assume we all know each other in here, okay? What percentage of people in this room do you think have heard the word and obeyed it in their life? 100%, I would say. What percentage of people in this room do you think have received a miracle from God at some point in their life? And what percentage, and don't even answer this, do you think are actually grateful to the point where they'll express their love through lifting hands and praising and worshiping God? Don't even answer. Don't even answer. Because it's just so sad because I think all of us have received so many amazing things. Now, to really understand this, let me ask you, was it biblically and theologically appropriate for this guy to shout in a loud voice and throw himself at Jesus and praise him and thank him? Was it theologically and biblically okay, yes or no? Yes. God's cool with that, right? God's cool. Falling down, praising, right? Is God okay, yes or no? Was it socially appropriate? With other men watching and peers around, and people seeing this guy screaming and yelling for Jesus and bowing down. Was it socially 
appropriate? Was it socially okay? Did other people look and stare and think, what's wrong with this guy? Did the other nine turn around and think, he's a weirdo. Man, he must come from one of those churches like Solid Rock. I don't know what to do with him. What's he doing that in that way? Was it socially appropriate? So let me teach you about leprosy. Leprosy, they believed, was an autoimmune disease. It's where your nerves stop working and you can't feel anything. They thought for thousands of years that leprosy caused your flesh to rot away and disappear because they couldn't feel anything and they'd wake up the next day and there'd be pieces of their body just missing. So they assumed that's what happened. It wasn't until 70 years ago, this is since Jesus' day, 70 years ago in a leprosorium, 1950 in New Orleans or New Orleans or whatever you call it, where the lepers were gathered and there was a hospital for them and they watched them, they took care of them. They discovered it wasn't that their flesh was rotting away. It was that animals and rats were eating their body at night while they were asleep and they could not feel it. And so for thousands of years when they thought it just caused your body to disappear, because they couldn't feel anything, they'd rub up against something or they're working in the yard or they'd get a sore and they didn't even know it was there. And the next day they'd look and a piece of their body's missing and they discovered that most of the time rats were eating their body at night. The sun would come up, the rats would disappear and they'd think, oh, it's just my, just my leprosy. If you had got leprosy in Jesus' day, there's no cure. There's no hospital for you. You had to fend for yourself, get food out in the woods. You couldn't be around anybody unless they also had leprosy, of course. There's nothing. If you contracted it after you got married, you could never again hold your child. You could never kiss your spouse Ever again, never watch a little league game, never go to church, never go to the mall, never go out to eat. You could never, you were completely outcasted. So my question is, if you had leprosy and Jesus healed you, would you express your love and gratitude to him? Or would you just watch the other nine guys, the other, the, the, the one tenth go back and do it? Which one are you in the story? Now, you also have to realize there was a law. If you came around any single person and you did not shout unclean and run in the other direction, you would be killed. You'd be put to death. Can you imagine every single day of your life having to yell to all of the world, I'm unclean, 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 stay away, stay away, I'm unclean. And then one day Jesus comes through. And you think, oh, I can't lift my hands. Jesus says this, I've made you clean. I can't praise you. I've made you clean. I've changed your life. Let me, let me, let me say it like this. Um, I had a friend in high school. I'll close with this story. And we played soccer all through high school. We, we remained close till we were 30 years old, which was 12 years ago. And um, he got cancer. And the doctors told him, just like that, you got three months to live. And it ended up putting him in the hospital in about two and a half weeks. He was dying. He had just had a little boy, a year and a half old, just had a little boy. He was such a handsome guy, athletic, built. The whole world loved him. I mean, he was like, the place he worked at, he worked at a restaurant here in Myrtle Beach. They raised hundreds of thousands of dollars to help him with cancer, to give his child an a, a, a education, like to put it in a fund for his college. I'm just a great guy, great guy. And uh, he wasn't saved. And 
the last few days of his life in the hospital, he asked us to read him the Bible 24-7. Just read him the Bible, read the Bible. About three or four days before he died, he gave his life to Jesus. His last request before he went into his coma was that he see his little baby boy one more time. The, the mom that she had sent the baby up to some other relatives in North Carolina so she could be there with him as he died his last few days. And his last thing he said was, I, I, I want to see my baby one more time. And then he went into his coma. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, don't, I don't even want you to have the visual, but I, I just need to let you know. I've never seen a human body do what his body did when he went into coma. For the next 24, I mean, just 24-7, until the, day, until the minute he died, his body was doing this. <laughs> Non-stop. Never took a break. Never took a... <laughs> his eyes were closed. He can't hear. It's just his heart's just trying to keep him alive. That's what's happening. Your heart's just pumping, pumping, pumping. Cancer all through his body. They got the little boy finally to Myrtle Beach, finally got him to the hospital. The little baby comes in, and the mom holds him, and the little baby touches daddy's leg. And three minutes later, my friend dies. Now, that's a true story, and I preached his funeral. But let me tell you the story again with a twist. He's got a few days to live. He has to see his baby before he goes into the coma. His heart's just keeping him alive. The mom gets the baby there. The baby comes in the room, touches daddy's leg. He's got three minutes left to live. Two minutes, one minute. He's got 10 seconds left. And the nurse says, oh, there's one more visitor. And she opens up the door and Jesus comes in. And Jesus touches him on the leg and then turns around and walks out. What's going on? Why is everybody standing around here crying? But he pulls out his IVs. I feel great while I'm at a hospital. You're dying. You're about to. No, I'm not. I feel fine. He grabs his son, spins him around the room, gives his wife a hug and a kiss. The nurses are freaking out. Doctors are running in. The family's crying and screaming and praising God. He calls his boss. I'm going to be back at work on Monday. I got my life back. Everything's changed. Fast forward 40 years later. He's 70 years old. He's at Coastal Grand Mall on Black Friday. It is packed with people. He's got his son on one side and his grandson on the other side. And he's just going through shopping for Christmas presents. 70 years old, 70 year old man with everybody in all of Myrtle Beach all jammed in the mall. All of a sudden, he looks up. About 30 feet away, he sees somebody. I know that guy. That's the guy. That's the guy. And the son says, what are you talking about, Dad? That's the guy. That's Jesus. He's the one. Although the 40 years ago, when I was dying, I was in the hospital. I thought my life was over. I had nothing. Everything was gone. He's the guy that came into my hospital room. I recognize him anywhere. He's the one that gave me my life back. And then in the middle of Coastal Grand Mall with everyone around him, this 70-year-old man starts pushing everybody out the way. He brings his son, follow me, and his grandson's coming. And he runs and he sees Jesus. He says, oh, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. You gave my life. You saved me. Here's, look, look, this is my son. This is my grandson. Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Here's my question. Would that be 
socially appropriate for a 70-year-old man to do in the middle of the mall on Black Friday? Or who gives a flying flip what anybody else thinks? Jesus saved his life! Do you think he cares about anybody else? He got his life back. Do you know Jesus made a way for you to spend all of eternity? Not just with him, but with every single one of your loved ones who Jesus is the Lord of their life? Eh, I'll come to church and watch everybody else do it. I'll watch the, 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 the ladies. They're so much better at it. They sing so much better than... They got. Who gives a flying flip what anybody else thinks? Jesus gave you your life back. Luke 4, 8, worship the Lord your God and Him only. So Satan wants you to worship anything but God. God wants to bless you in such a way that your heart is filled with so much gratitude. You come to this place every single Sunday with your hands in the air, your mouth singing, and your hands clapping for the only being in the universe that is worthy of all of our praise and all of our glory. And that's how you worship. And y'all better do that next Sunday or I'm going to a different church.